Thank you, Randy. Well, I look out today and I see some faces of some folks that I haven't met yet, and that encourages me. God's doing a, a new thing here with our church family, Soma Tacoma, and uh, it's been hard to walk through this process of discerning whether or not to leave and then leaving and then praying about what's next and landing on a clear call from the Holy Spirit to the faraway place of Huntsville, Alabama. One of the stories from the New Testament that's been helpful for me in this process has been the Macedonian call. It's early on in Acts chapter 16, second missionary journey of Paul, and he's in Asia Minor where he was before on his first missionary journey, and he assumes he's going to go north. The irony is I assumed we were going to go north as well and stay here in the northwest, uh, but the Spirit said no, both to Paul and to us. And then Paul thought he was going to go somewhere else, a little bit south, and the Spirit says no. And then he has a dream of a man from a far-off place waving his arms around, saying, come over here and help us. A different continent. And the gospel moves from Asia to Europe for the first time. Now, we're not taking the gospel with us for the first time to the south. (laughs) Deeply rooted there already, praise God. But we are going to a faraway place. And there's been someone waving their arms around saying, come over here and help us. And God's made it clear that that's where we're supposed to go. And it is deeply saddening and very exciting at the same time. The last thing I'll say about that is Jesus said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We don't know. Friends, we don't know the steps we're supposed to take to find life. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And our job is to walk in step with the Spirit of the living God wherever he calls us to go. Wherever he calls us to go. By the time I was 26, I lived in each time zone for five years. That's weird. I've never lived in the South If I move to California to retire, I will have lived in every region of the country. That's not my desire. I'm like a deep roots guy. But whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know what? This world's not our home. It's not our home. A deep longing that you all have to be rooted, to have a place to call home, is a is a deeper expression of your desire for heaven. It really is. It really is. That itch inside of you of like, I just want to be settled and be done with moving around and done building relationships with new people. Guess what? It's not going to happen. It's never going to stop until you get to heaven. It's the way it's designed. You've got to keep Walking in step with the Spirit. All right. That was all extra stuff. So I just pushed start on my timer. (laughs) So I suppose one other little prelude and then I'll get going. Since there's some folks here who don't know me, um, I'm just going to show you my hand and tell you that behind this sermon is a deep, deep 
love for God's word, for the gospel, for Jesus Christ, and for his church. All four of those things. I'm about to make the strongest case I can make that you hold tightly to those things and you never let go. To God's word, to the gospel, to Jesus Christ and to his church. So, Spirit, please help me. I need your help. When I am weak, then I am strong. So there are several people who are part of our church family who have summited Mount Rainier. I have wanted to do this uh, for as long as I've lived here. I've never had the opportunity to do it, or maybe I should say never made the time to do it. And I know Justin Euler's done it, I know Randy's done it, Kim Cross has done it, and this week I happened to see an Instagram post from our very own David Gokey, and he summited Rainier. I think we got this awesome photo, David on the top, the summit of Mount Rainier. I'm sure it feels like being on top of the world. And this is David's second time to the summit. This time he actually got to lead a few other people, and on his Instagram post talked about the joy of getting to help others get to a place where he had been before. So to me, the whole thing, you know, climbing to the top of the mountain, helping others along is such a great metaphor for the Christian life. But what I want to talk about today specifically that relates to this picture is I want to talk about perseverance and endurance. Perseverance and endurance. Perseverance and endurance are major themes of the New Testament. What's odd is that the word perseverance only occurs one time in the New Testament. Persevere only occurs one time. Endurance gets used a lot, and they're basically synonyms. They have slightly different meanings, but they're basically synonyms. And what's interesting to me about the the concept of perseverance and endurance, particularly in the world that we live in today, is that you cannot tell the story of perseverance in a 30-second soundbite. You can't do it. I could tell a story of generosity in a 30-second soundbite. I bumped into somebody this week. I had a need. They graciously and generously met my need. And you're like, oh, that's a picture of generosity. But an Instagram post cannot capture the essence of perseverance and endurance. Because behind David's mountaintop photo, which we all see and we're like, oh man, that would be awesome. I would love to do that. Guess what's behind that photo? Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of training, learning, discipline, instruction, suffering, uncomfortability, perseverance, and endurance. So while the picture's awesome and I love it and I rejoice in it, I don't even really understand all of what's behind it. You you can't explain perseverance in 30 seconds. You need 30 years to say this is what perseverance looks like. Back in February, Billy Graham passed away. It would have been his, it was his 100th year of life. He didn't quite make it to his 100th birthday. But he would have turned 100 this year. Year. And that man's life is an illustration of perseverance and endurance, right? The picture doesn't capture it. 
It doesn't cap, it makes you think about it, but it doesn't tell the whole story of how this man, for six decades, preached in 185 countries, preached live to 210 million people, and managed in this world that we live in to keep his sexual and financial order, uh, affairs in order. How does that happen with that kind of influence? You know how it happens? Perseverance and endurance, which is grinding it out in the nitty-gritty, in the day-to-day, in the unglamorous, normal, everyday stuff of life. We've got a picture of perseverance and endurance. We've got many here in our church, but I think Don and Bonnie would probably come to mind for a lot of us as a picture of perseverance and endurance. And I've had the huge privilege of walking fairly closely with them for the last 11 years. And that, to me, is how I begin to understand perseverance and endurance. When I think about a relationship with a person and a life that I've seen and a discipline and a posture and a humility, and I think, It takes 77 years to tell the story of perseverance and endurance. It takes 75 years to tell the story of perseverance and endurance. And the way that these two live their lives among us now is still a crazy amazing example of like, oh, okay, I've told them before. When I get to 70 and 75, I'm thinking about you guys. I'm thinking about you. I'm going to be sitting with Jesus going, Man, I remember how Don and Bunny lived their life at this point, walking around their neighborhood, praying for their neighbors, wanting to be missionaries at 75. Who does that? Who does that? Just declaring utter faith in God no matter what hard circumstances come their way. Who does that? Who does that? Who pours into their grandkids and kids and just with great joy and ministers to all kinds of people? Thank you guys for being an awesome example to us. Thank you so much. You guys are a treasure. We're so grateful for you. So grateful for God's grace in your lives. So thankful. We have a living example right here. Thank you, Don. I can't remember what we agreed on, so I hope, you, I hope you remember. I got a lot on my mind lately. So just a, just a quick definition of these words to help us get our mind around a, just a, a tad more. Talk, started with some pictures of perseverance and endurance. And there's some of you in the room who are like me who maybe think a little more in words instead of pictures. So the word persevere is a compound Latin word meaning very, that's the prefix, P-E-R, and then serious, or grave, or strict. For those of you who read the Harry Potter series, character Severus Snape, undoubtedly J.K. Rowling gave him his name Severus because he was very grave and very strict and very serious. So that's where we get our word persevere, Sounds like a barrel of laughs, right? Right? Like, that sounds like fun. Let's be very serious for 75 years. But the point is, that's what it requires. 
There's a serious, there's, there's a sobriety about life. We can't just skip along, Pollyanna. There's an there's a utter place for joy. We must have joy and be sober-minded at the same time. The Greek word for persevere carries with it the idea of devotion. Acts 2.42, one of my favorite Bible verses, they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That word, continually devoted themselves, is the Greek word for persevere. So, if you want to finish well, if you want to have, if you want to make it to the top of Mount Rainier, if you want to have a hundred years of preaching ministry or 75 years of serving God's church and God's people, then you need to continually devote yourself to some things. That's the only way to make it. The word endurance, some synonyms for the Greek word, steadfastness, constancy, a patient waiting. Patient waiting. Now, in light of the illustrations of perseverance and endurance and some of those word definitions, I want to ask a question and hear your response. What do you think are some of the obstacles to perseverance and endurance for us? What are some of the obstacles to perseverance and endurance for us? Sunshine, okay. Say more about that, Ron. Okay, good. So there are other options of things that we could do to spend our time. Things we think might bring us more joy. Okay, what else? Just, what's that? Fear. Okay, say more about that. How, how might fear be an obstacle to perseverance and endurance? Okay, very good. Fear of what other people will think of us if we persevere and endure as a follower of Jesus with all that that means. What are people going to think of me? I'm a little bit ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to be seen as the weird Christian guy or the Bible thumper. What are people going to think? Fear. What else? I heard a word over here. Okay, our culture. Say a little more about that, Aaron. How, how is our culture, the world we live in, an obstacle to perseverance and endurance? Okay. Very good. We live in a very disposable world. We want instant gratification. We want what we want, and we want it. Now. We want what we want and we want it now. I want to drive up to paradise, put some hiking boots on, and walk to the top of Mount Rainier. Honestly, I do. I, really, I mean, I would love that. It's not that simple. It's not that quick. It doesn't work that way. I remember in Bible college, a guy I knew decided to not register for the Chicago Marathon and just jump in the race. He couldn't walk for a week. Literally, he had to crawl around or have people carry him. It doesn't work that way when you run a marathon. You can't just jump in. There's serious consequences. Okay, what else? What are some other obstacles to perseverance and endurance? Mark. Okay. Say a little more about that, Mark. Disappointment. Very good. Disappointment. Unmet expectations. If we drilled down on that for a few minutes, we would find that every single one of you in this room 
has had serious disappointment and unmet expectations in your life. Like, wow, that didn't go the way I thought it was gonna go. That didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. This has been a lot harder than I thought it was gonna be. This hasn't been near as much fun as I thought it would be. And in that moment, you have a choice to make. Are you gonna press on? Are you gonna endure? Are you gonna still grab onto Jesus and his word and his family and the gospel? Or are you gonna give up? What else, Kyle? Yes, absolutely. I think believing lies about our identity is a massive obstacle to perseverance and endurance. A massive obstacle. Let's not miss this. We have an enemy. We have an enemy who has an army behind him. Satan and his demons. They want to take you out if you're serious about following Jesus. If you want to make it to the end, you're on the short list. You're in the crosshairs. You will be assaulted. As we have been trying to, as the Bible says, set our face like flint and be unwavering in our commitment to follow Jesus, surprise, surprise, this whole thing has been opposed. To use John Eldridge's word. It's been opposed. We keep bumping into stuff. We're like, what is this? Oh, Satan's trying to worm his way in here. And we've had to multiple times just just sort of like pull the curtain back and just go, hey, let's call it what it is. This is spiritual attack. What's the fruit that's being produced in my heart right now because of my circumstances? A lot of fear, a lot of discouragement, a lot of doubt. Gee, where does that come from? Where's that trying to take me? to a place of giving up faith and losing heart. So literally, we've had to say, in Jesus' name, we say no to this right now. But the problem is, is we've got this this veil between the physical world that we live in and the spiritual dimension that's very alive and active. And so we miss the fact that it's spiritual and we just think it's like a normal physical thing. And so we don't pull the curtain back and say, in Jesus' name, no. So I just want to give you that and just say, hey, be aware there's an enemy who wants to take you out. Okay, a couple things I'll just add, I think are also obstacles. Um, Sin. Uh, Just the fact that our flesh is regularly saying, uh, no, come over here. This will be easier. This will be more comfortable. You can't trust God. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. I mean, honestly, our flesh is a major, major, major obstacle. Compromise, lack of accountability. How many stories are we hearing right now in the church? Guys like Bill Hybels, a guy who I deeply respected and loved and shaped me in a huge way. And their elders this week just apologized to the church family. We didn't handle this well. We didn't listen to the women. I mean, this thing is trending not in a healthy direction still. Even here in our own city, these things are happening. Probably, you know, reading some of those things in the news. It's heartbreaking for me. But there's little compromises along the way where someone says, oh, this little decision, that's really not going to be that big of a deal. And a lack of accountability, that's an obstacle to perseverance and endurance. 
Persecution and suffering. In the Bible, that's the biggest obstacle to perseverance and endurance. It's just too darn hard to be a Christian. I'm telling you, friends, it's only going to get worse. If, if stuff about, you know, if the, if the ongoing crazy sexual revolution in our country is like nails on the chalkboard for you, which it is for me, and I, at times I think, man, I wish this would just all get fixed. It's not going to get fixed. It's only going to get worse. Okay? Saying that we believe that what the Bible clearly says about human sexuality, that's going to be against the law for me to say that pretty soon. But I'm not going to stop because I'm going to persevere and endure in Jesus' name regardless of the consequences. But persecution and suffering is real. Lack of models, I think, is one more obstacle to perseverance and endurance. For most people... They don't have a Donna Bunny crook in their, in their orbit. They can read Billy Graham's book, but they've never had breakfast with him. So, like, where are the models? Where are the examples? Where are the people that at, when you get to 40, you can go, oh, I remember how so-and-so handled life at 40. I want to do it like they did. And the same at 50 and 60 and 70 and 80. There's not a lot of those examples for us to follow, are there? So I want to share with you just a few verses about the Bible's call to perseverance and endurance. And then with whatever time I have left, I'm going to preach the whole book of Hebrews. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? Oh. Okay, so just this is going to be kind of a quick overview of New Testament uh, examples of how important endurance is. I'll try to be brief in my comments about this, and then we'll get to Hebrews and talk about the two keys to perseverance that we'll find in the book of Hebrews. So Jesus mentions endurance multiple times in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, as he's sending out the 12 for the first time. He's commissioning them. I'm sending you out as sheep, sheep among wolves. Go preach the gospel. Go heal people. Go cast out demons. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Back to the fear that you mentioned, sir. We're afraid of what people are going to think about us. Jesus minced no words. He says, oh, by the way, just so you know, don't worry about whether or not people like you. They're going to hate you. Now, what's interesting, when we get to the New Testament church in the book of Acts, we find that they had favor with God and with all the people. Right? Right? So I think as we demonstrate the gospel and we are a good news people to a world... And we show what the gospel looks like and we bring kingdom values to bear on the world, the world's going to say, you guys are amazing. But then as we preach the gospel and we talk about the truth and we say, you can't save yourself, there's only one who can, and he calls you to live in a certain way, they're going to say, we hate you. So that's the weird zone we're going to live in from now on. And then Matthew chapter 24 Oh, actually, I forgot Matthew, to finish Matthew chapter 10. You're all going to be hated, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I'm going to comment on that after I read Matthew 24 because Jesus repeats it at the end of Matthew's gospel. And then 
And the context for Matthew chapter 24 now is Jesus looking forward to the end times. He's about ready to die. These are sort of like his parting words to his people. This is not at the beginning of his ministry when he sent out the disciples. This is at the end of his ministry. He's like, hey guys, I'm about to leave. Here's what you have to know before I go. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Remember that word fall away. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's the same phrase again. Jesus is not saying that it is your endurance that saves you. He's not saying that. He's saying because you are saved, you will endure. It is your endurance that is evidence of the fact that you are saved. So therefore, if you don't endure, it's because you weren't actually saved in the first place. It's not your endurance that gives you salvation. That's what Jesus is saying. Then in Paul's letters, he talks repeatedly about how he endured suffering and how suffering should produce endurance in us. And then we get to the book of Revelation. Jesus, once again, I had forgotten this, to be honest with you, until I was doing a word study this week on endurance, and I found all these passages. I was like, holy cow, Jesus, really? Before I read these, I just want to point this out. When it comes to endurance specifically, according to what we're about to read in God's word, Jesus sees you. He sees you. He sees what you're up to. And I mean that in the best way. Not like he's big brother government spying on you just waiting to slap your hand. I mean, he's in the grind with you. He's in the nitty gritty. He's in the, you know, 6 a.m. with you. He's in 10.30 a.m. with you. He sees it. He sees us as a church family. He sees Soma Tacoma coming up on 14 years of life, and it's been up and down. It's been a roller coaster. It's been crazy, lots of transition, and Jesus sees us, and he has a word for us. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I mean, let, 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 that, let that just wash over you as a, as a faithful follower of Jesus. Here is Jesus Christ looking at his church saying, I know your works. I know what you guys have done. Soma Tacoma, I see you, Jesus says. I see you. You have endured for 14 years in a hard context with a lot of transition. You have endured, and I see you, Jesus says. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. Not everyone who calls himself an apostle these days is an apostle, my friends. Be aware. I know you are enduring patiently. There's another I know. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. And here's the crazy irony of this word to the Ephesian church. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. They're faithful, but they're not passionate. It's possible to be faithful, not be passionate. 
All of us probably know the story of marriages. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, maybe 50 years. Faithfulness, not a lot of passion. Jesus wants both from us. Revelation chapter 2, church at Theatira. I know your works, your love and faith and service, patient endurance. And then to the church at Philadelphia in chapter 3, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, there it is again, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Remember these two words, hold fast. Hold fast. Hold on. Endure. Grab a hold of Jesus and don't let go no matter what. In one sentence, that's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. I thought I was done. I thought my sermon seven weeks ago was my last one. I said, Randy, I'm done, bro. That's it. Spirit, turn, turn the switch off. Game over. He said, well, if Spirit gives you anything else, door's always open. I said, that's kind of you. I think I'm done. And we're flying home from Alabama, June 23rd, my 43rd birthday, and I'm just reading my Bible and praying a little bit, and boom, the Spirit just dropped this on me. You gotta talk to them about perseverance. So I came home and said, Hey Randy, how about July 25th? It's yours. Didn't even realize it'd be my last Sunday here. Next Sunday I'll be out of town camping with my boys. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. I've been a pastor in Tacoma for 17 years. Do you know what the most painful part of my ministry has been? The most painful part of my ministry in Tacoma has been watching some people let go of their hold on God's word, on the gospel, on Jesus, and on his church. They've let go. It kills me. I'm so broken and sad. And there are names and faces in my mind right now. And people who still, you know, want to reach out and connect and grab coffee. And, and I sit there and I don't even know how to communicate with them. I want to listen. I want to still be a human and be compassionate. And, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about what you're thinking. And not just come in, you know, like guns blazing. Bro, you're wrong, you know. But, but I'm like, I don't know how to... I don't know how to say, you've let go of the gospel. Maybe I should just say that. Maybe I'll try that next time. But since I'm not sure what to do in those contexts, I feel like the Spirit wanted me to come here where I do know how to say that and just say, don't let go of the gospel. Don't let go of the gospel. Thank you, Finn, for the Amen. Don't let go of God's word. Don't let go of the Bible, guys. People are going to say all kinds of garbage about the Bible. It's not true. It's not true. Listen, here's how I walk this through. I start with Jesus Christ as a historical figure. Nobody disputes the historicity of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a few... Not jobs. It's, just, it's okay for me to say that today about them. 
Because it's just so crazy. I mean, honestly, you like, you're living in an alternate universe if you, if you deny the historical existence of a person named Jesus Christ. So you start with that, and then you go to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you have to grapple with the historical reality of the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did it actually happen or not? I think the evidence for the historical reality of a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. I don't have time to get into it today. There's tons of stuff out there. Read William Lane Craig. It's overwhelming. So then you go, okay, so if Jesus Christ historically lived and he rose from the dead, he's God, he's God and everything he said is true because he predicted his death and resurrection. Nobody has ever done that. We like to say, well, no one ever rose from the dead. That's crazy enough, but he predicted it. Like, that's like the ultimate, I'm going to call my home run shot. So if he rose from the dead, everything he says is true. Now everything he said about the Bible is true. And he says the Psalms, the prophets, the, the historical books are, are written by God. He says stuff like, as the Spirit said, through David. He believes in the inspiration of Scripture. It's true. And the scripture is where we get the gospel. And the scripture is where we learn about Jesus giving birth to the church of Jesus Christ. And it's called his bride. And by the way, you can't invite me over to dinner to your house and say, you don't want my wife to come because you don't like her. If you did that to me, guess what my response to your invitation would be? No thanks. We're a package deal. You can't invite Jesus into your life and not the church. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's a package deal. It's his wife. It's his wife. And she's broken. Oh, is she broken. So broken. But he still loves her dearly. He loves her dearly. He died for her. And he calls us to die for her too, even as we're a part of her, and to love her like crazy. So, now, for the entire book of Hebrews. Here we go. Okay, so mostly what I'm going to do is just read some scripture to you. At least that's the plan. So, <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm really not going to keep you here till 1 o'clock, I promise. Um, just maybe 1230. Um, no, I'm not going to do that to the nursery workers on my last Sunday. <laughs> then I wouldn't be welcome back. So, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who are tempted to abandon the faith because of persecution. That's the context for the whole book. Jewish Christians who are tempted to abandon the faith because of persecution. Everything in the book is against that backdrop. The first two chapters, the author makes the case that Jesus Christ is greater than angels... Jewish, the Jewish faith had a very, very, very high view of angels. The old covenant was given through the medium of angels. Evidently, Moses met with some angelic beings on the top of Mount Sinai and brought the Ten Commandments down and gave them to the people when they heard the voice of God. Somehow, angels are involved in that process. And, God, and, and the book, author to the book of Hebrews is saying, okay, those angels were involved in that first covenant. Jesus is way better than angels. Angels are servants of God. Jesus is a servant of God, but he's a son of God. 
better. So therefore, whatever comes through Jesus is going to be way better than whatever came through angels. And Jesus is not an angel. He's actually a human, but he's a perfect human, the best human ever, who lived a sinless life, tempted in every way, just like you and me, yet without sin. Because he's perfectly human, he gets to be a priest, which is a mediator between people and God. But since he's the son of God, he's not just a perfect human, he's a perfect God. And the thing that everybody's looking for in this world is either a perfect human or a perfect God. That's what you're looking for. You want a perfect human who can save you, or you want a perfect God who can save you. And in Jesus, you get both. And only in Jesus. There's no perfect humans out there. There's no other perfect gods out there. There's only one. So he's already made all that case in the first two chapters. And then he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. You guys are suffering. You're tempted to abandon your faith, cash in your chips, give up on the Bible, give up on the gospel, give up on Jesus, give up on the church. And he's saying, don't stop thinking about Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. And then verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house If indeed we, here's the phrase I told you to pay attention to from Revelation, hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes Psalm 95, we're in a psalm series right now, this is the psalm portion of my sermon. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and they said they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is a reference to Numbers chapter 14 when God's people got to the very edge of the promised land. They sent in Spies for 40 days, the spies came back, all but two, Caleb and Joshua, said, it's too, it's too hard, it's too much, it's too big, we're scared, the giants are too big, we can't go into the land, even though God said, I'll give you the land, and they chickened out. And God says, you, you failed, your unbelief, you hardened your hearts. And so now the psalmist is pointing back to Israel's history and says, hey, Today is just as urgent as the day when God's people were on the edge of the promised land. Don't think that today's not important, friends. Write it down, July 15th, 2018. This day matters in your faith. It matters. You have a decision to make today. Are you going to harden your heart or are you going to believe in Jesus Christ? That's the decision you have to make today. Every one of us. And he says, don't harden your heart. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to, here's that phrase we heard earlier from Jesus, fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. 
as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the evil, unbelieving heart, hardened by deceitfulness of sin, those are the challenges. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we, here's the word again, hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then chapter four, a few more verses. Since then, we have a great high priest, this amazing mediator, perfect human, perfect God, who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, here's the word again, hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. This is where we get the idea that Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast, there it is again, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Very same word that we read in chapter 3. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And in verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. That's my word to you this morning. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then finally, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Remember those obstacles to perseverance and endurance, there's sin. Put it aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The journey to the top of Mount Rainier is not a sprint. A marathon is not a sprint. It's an endurance race. Looking to Jesus. The New American Standard says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. There's the word again. Consider, think about Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. All right, I'm gonna (laughs) wrap this up by telling you briefly the two keys to perseverance. Number one, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Over and over in the book of Hebrews, it's hold on, hold on, consider, fix your eyes on Jesus. Guess what? You never let go. You can't persevere alone. And you weren't meant to. You can only persevere 
with Jesus. It's a relational endeavor. You can only persevere if you're holding hands with somebody walking along the road. You're not on the road by yourself. That's the biggest key. If Satan can get you to believe that you're alone, he'll take you out. But if you are utterly convinced that you're with Jesus, then guess what? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So you don't lay down in the valley of the shadow of death. You don't stop in the valley of the shadow of death. You don't even die in the valley of the shadow of death. You walk. One foot in front of the other, because you're not alone. Hold on to Jesus. There have been lots of times where I have sat with with Jesus, and I have said to him, and this is particularly in times of struggle, I've said, you know what, Jesus, I think about my circumstances, I think about um, my relationships in my life and realize that they, they could crumble, my marriage, my kids, my friends, I could lose my job, my career, my ministry, I could lose everything I possess and fall into financial ruin, I could lose my health, and deal with severe physical or more mental problems. Like, all these things are possible. But you know what? Like, I could never let go of you. I just couldn't do it. There's too much conviction. My walking with you has just been, it's been too long and too deep. But you know what? I think that regular reaffirmation of like, Jesus, I will never let you go is how you persevere. You have to keep telling him that. It's like you're, you're re-grabbing a hold of him again. Say, I'm not letting you go. So hold on to Jesus. And then number two, encourage one another daily. There's more keys to perseverance. I just want to emphasize these two. Number one, hold on to Jesus. Number two, Encourage one another daily. Friends, perseverance is a relational endeavor. You're walking with Jesus along the road, but you're, you also really do have people around you. You really do. You must. This is why getting together with Christians is so vitally important. 99% of the time, when people leave community, when like that finger comes off, they leave the church. They're not a part of any sort of community. They're not meeting with, with Christians around Jesus. They might hang out with them, play games with them, you know, go to sporting events or you know, do recreation. They have Christian friends, but they're not gathering around Jesus. And they're not a part of a local church. Sunday matters, friends. It matters. For 2,000 years, the Church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth has gathered on the first day of the week to celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's alive! Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Guess what? I need to come here and sing out of my own mouth that Jesus is risen from the dead. No grave or dirt will hold you down. I need to do that. I need to hear someone stand here and ask me some good questions and remind me of what the Bible says. I need it. I've been doing it for 43 years, and I desperately need it. And so do you, and so does every person who has the Spirit of God. 
I've never seen, not never, almost every person who lets go of that finger, community, church, then lets go of Bible, gospel, and Jesus. Because in order to endure, you've got to encourage one another daily. And I love that the Bible says daily. So it's not just a Sunday thing. It's not enough. It's not enough. You've got to have people in your life. Daily. Daily. So I want to challenge us. How often are we preaching the gospel to one another? How often are we, are we demonstrating the gospel to one another and saying, hey man, I'm going to suffer with you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to encourage you with the gospel. And we're actually talking about Jesus. Like, hey, brother, hey, sister, I know you're struggling. I know you got uncertainty. I know you got doubts. I know you got fears. I want to listen. I want to meet you where you're at because we're all about vulnerability and struggle. That's good. Bring it. We welcome that. We welcome doubts. We welcome people saying, man, I don't know if the Bible's true anymore. Okay, great. Let's talk about it. But when you take that struggle or that doubt and you go off in the corner by yourself, I know how the story ends. You've got to bring it to community and talk about it. And we'll meet you there, but we must experience love and care with one another. The name of Jesus should just fall off our lips. This week, I was right down the street at the new Starbucks, 38th and G. Three cheers for Starbucks in this neighborhood. I'm serious, guys. You can say what you want about Starbucks. They bless their employees, and when Starbucks goes into a neighborhood, the flag goes up the flagpole to other investors to say, hey, we're willing to throw our chips in. You guys can come too. So you can say what you want, but if it weren't for Starbucks, there would be no Bluebeard coffee. I'm just saying. <laughs> Starbucks taught you it was okay to pay $2 for a cup of coffee, and now you're paying 3 at Bluebeard. I'm just saying. I was at the Starbucks, and the woman behind the counter, they have name tags. When I worked there, we didn't have name tags. They have name tags now. And her name was Soma. I had to ask. I'm like, is your name Soma? <laughs> She's like, yes, it is. I'm like, that is so interesting. And she said, yeah, you know, I know there's lots of cool meanings and stuff, but like my dad's friend's name was Amos, and Soma is just Amos spelled backwards. <laughs> so she's like, so that's the story. I'm like, okay. I said, well, for the last 11 years, I've been one of the pastors at a church that meets right there in that building. You can see this building from the Starbucks. Right there um, called Soma. She's like, yeah, I've heard about it. People have asked me about it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not a part of that. And she's like, but she wasn't, she wasn't like off, off put by my comment. She was just kind of matter of fact about it. And then she says, but I'm a heathen anyway. And I'm telling you, the spirit just bloop, just right out of my mouth. I said, well, you know what? Jesus loves heathens. And she laughed, I, and I said it again. I said, Jesus loves heathens. I said, and that's good news for all of us. Amen. And I walked out of there, I was like, that was the most normal, weird thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminded me, like, the name of Jesus should just, like, roll off of our tongue. And that's not always been the case for me, by the way. So I'm, I'm not, like, holding myself up as a great example. That's evidence of the Spirit just give, giving me something in the moment. I'm going to end with this. As you look over your life, you look out over the next you know, day, week, month, year, decade, decades of your life, and you look ahead, 
if you have the spirit of God in you, then this is the message. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus and you're here this morning, I know in your heart of hearts you're sitting here going, what am I holding on to? Because you're holding on to something. You are holding on to something. And depending on how good your week has gone, you might feel like, ah, it's holding up pretty well. Or you might feel like, man, it's really failing me. And I'm telling you, regardless of what you're holding on to or how good your week was, nothing will sustain but Jesus Christ. Especially in the end, when you have to face him and you have to give an answer for every single thing you've ever done and every word you've ever said. Whatever you were holding on to and you put it in front of him, he's not going to be impressed. It's not going to hold any water. But if you hold on to him, then when he says, hey, Abe, what are you going to say about your life and all the stuff you did and all the words you said? And I'm going to be like, Jesus, the only thing I have in my hands is you. He's going to say, okay, good, taken care of. Taken care of. So as you look out on your life, that's the reality. But here's the amazing thing. If you were to stop and you were to turn around and like peek over your, over the, over your shoulder and look back on your life, I have 43 years of history in the rearview mirror. I met Jesus when I was four. By God's sheer incredible grace, it was a real deal. So I look back over my life and guess what's written over the top of the rearview mirror of life? Not hold on to Jesus, but Jesus saying, I held on to you. I held on to you. The book of Jude, two verses, some of my favorites in the New Testament. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Imagine standing before the presence of his glory. And Jesus Christ is the one who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of his glory, not with trembling, not with fear, with great joy. Jesus is keeping you. He's keeping you. Hold on to Jesus because he's holding on to you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know what you're holding on to, I'm telling you, there's nothing like being held on to by Jesus. Because whatever you're holding on to, it ain't holding on to you. But if you hold on to Jesus, he will hold on to you. We're going to come to the table together in groups today with other people. It seems fitting that we would look each other in the eye and that someone would speak to the group. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. I want to remind us all that we have been bought with this precious price, an eternal price paid for, for our lives. We've been redeemed. We've been set free. We have the spirit of God. We're adopted sons and daughters. Speak the gospel to one another in your circle. Give thanks to Jesus. Now, as you go to these different groups, which will be scattered around the room, um, you can get, some of us are in missional communities. You can go in your missional community. Um, if you're not a part of a missional community, Tim Geisland, who's right up here, is going to have a group for anybody who's a follower of Jesus, who wants to remember Jesus and declare the good news of the gospel through the breaking of bread and communion. You can come up and, and practice it and experience it together with Tim. So if you're a follower of Jesus, please engage with one of our groups. Come with Tim. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's a great time to just listen to the music and honestly, maybe sit with some of the things that we've talked about today. I know it's been a little bit heavy, um, but if I, I have to leave knowing I've been faithful to say what God wanted me to say, and it's don't let go of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the last thing, Soma family, you are so faithful. You are so faithful. This is not a rebuke. It's not a rebuke. I'm talking to people who are already holding on to Jesus. I'm just saying, don't stop, okay? I just, I want you to hear that too. I, I didn't feel like the Spirit was wanting me to worry about whether or not our church is gonna just like let go of Jesus. I'm not worried about that, but I do know there's probably somebody here, the Spirit wouldn't have given me this if somebody didn't need to hear it, that needed to hear today, don't let go of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Thank you that your powers made perfect in our weakness. Jesus, you are the shepherd of this church. You're the senior pastor. We've said it for 14 years. We're not going to stop. Lead this church beside quiet waters. Restore our souls. Guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Would you be glorified through the lives and the words of every person who's a part of this church family. Would Tacoma be transformed? We pray for all the other churches in our city who are gathering today, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you unify the church in Tacoma that the world would see that when people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language gather around Jesus, it's a demonstration of the reality that Jesus is the Son of God, as Jesus prayed in John 17. So please do your work in this city. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.